Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity in Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Scott Nappy Brandon, Executive Director of the Lincoln Center Institute, the arts and education arm of the Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts in New York City. He's been an educator and performer and works internationally to promote education in and through the arts. He is also the co-author of Imagination First, Unlocking the Power of Possibility. Scott will be leading a conversation from imagination to innovation at the Creativity World Forum in Oklahoma City on November 17th. Scott Nabu Brandon, it's great to have you with us. Great. I'm thrilled to be on. Thanks, Steve and Mary Alice. Well, I was looking at all of your projects again, which I've been aware of for a while. I was struck by, of course, the the word imagination that, that is in many of those projects, including the Imagination First book that I mentioned, the Imagination Academy, which is a charter school that, that you guys are starting, mm-hmm. the Imagination Conversations, which you've been uh, organizing around the country for engaging conversations about creativity. So it, it seems your work is pretty much about imagination. So <laughs> I was wondering if you would sort of pick up on that, maybe in the context of your book first, because I think you know the book has been something that obviously is out there in the public at large and, sure. and really makes an argument for the role of imagination and creativity and innovation across different parts of society. So tell us a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish through that, that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we are interested in, as you just said, uh, the ICI uh, continuum, the imagination, creativity, innovation, uh, the combination of the three. We do highlight imagination uh, for several reasons. One is in the spirit of you reap what you sow, that if we want innovation, we think you have to backward map it through creativity back to imagination, because from our viewpoint, that is the cognitive process or the uh, the capacity to conceive of, of what is not to ask the what-if question that kicks off the entire process of creativity to innovation. So in a sense, it is starting with imagination, but not because we think it's the only part of the discussion. We just think it's the cognitive capacity that uh, that we need to pay attention to. And I would say also, um, at least from our viewpoint, the one that gets the least ink. And that really becomes then, particularly from an education standpoint, part of what links imagination and creativity across all disciplines and not just focusing on the the arts and music where sometimes an emphasis falls in some of the conversations about this topic. Yeah, absolutely. In the the spirit of uh, bringing it back into public education, you know, once again, if we're talking about innovation, we have to look at how we get there. And if in a test-driven educational environment, which we're not arguing should not exist, we're arguing that we should have a combination of 
high accountability and high standards along with imagination creativity leading toward innovation as part of the um, the design of, of uh, education in the United States. Uh, but because imagination is that cognitive capacity that we think can be taught and creativity for us is applied imagination through the formal language or elements of any discipline that you pretty much have the ability to look at it as both rigorous content and kind of methodological or pedagogical design. So, you know, Scott, I was looking at one of uh, blog entries, um, and you were mentioning Rutledge's um, take on what kind of creator are you through mm -hmm. a, uh, different personality types. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about myself in terms of I uh, create and go straight to my imagination through play and, play and dreaming and mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. And um, so it probably falls under the category intuition to begin mm -hmm. with. But mm -hmm. um, So I wonder about that that whole, that model or looking at yourself as a creator, how are you a creator, and how can that help um, us all move past our fears, whether mm -hmm. child or adult? Right. Well, um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to believe first and foremost that, you know, as young children, uh, those fears are not as well founded or formed because they're not, uh, we haven't lived through the, the exercising of them in the world to either be shut down or told they're not appropriate or uh, we shouldn't have them. And now, once again, that's a blanket statement, but I'd like to believe that young children have that capacity um, or that, that intuition um, uh, already built in. I think the question is, is how to keep it and keep mm -hmm. that fear from overtaking it, both within the organized elements of education as we look at what knowledge is, knowledge acquisition is on the one hand, but then as we look at what does it mean to be imaginative and creative as an individual. Um, you know, the perception of it often is is that it means that you, uh, you think differently or you're not, um, you're not necessarily the same as. And that's from our perspective, from my perspective, not the healthiest way of us looking at it. So um, by trying to connect it back to that everyone can be, no matter what discipline you take it into or what you do with it in life, that it's part of a skill set that's necessary and required for both personal achievement and also economic development, we kind of take it out of kind of the personal and the idiosyncratic discussion and put it into more global and uh, supportive discussion. Mm -hmm. And so how does that look in the conventional classroom setting or work setting for that matter? Right. Um, well, there's many different ways of looking at it and how it can, how it can exist. And that part of the, the, the beauty of this is that um, we're actually, by taking it off its pedestal and kind of not either romanticizing it or trying to fear it, um, we're actually saying that there are ways in which all instruction can be delivered using key elements of inquiry and uh, um, digging deeper and trying to find ways in which connections are made between disparate ideas that if you use what we call the capacities for imaginative learning, um, which is a typology that we've developed, um, that if you teach to and through those, 
you're over time developing the skill sets that allow you to be more imaginative, to create those mental images, to um, develop the um, what what Einstein called the thought experiments. Um, that is part of the you know the, that cognitive process. Um, so, in a sense, if they just become part and parcel of delivery and and the way in which we examine um, subjects, um, it will almost take care of itself at the school level. In the workforce, it's a more complicated discussion because you're talking about a certain form of, of retraining or remediation um, if we're talking about it with adults. But our experience is it's really the same set of questions. It's just you have to do it faster. What do you mean you have to do it faster? Well, if you're retraining or if we're talking about workforce development, you don't have 12 years to develop it over right. the course of a of a student's life in school mm-hmm. um, out of both fairness to the individual and the need to have that person as a constructive member of the workforce but the the elements are the same and it's really um you know what we're doing to highlight them what we're doing to teach to and through them and what we're doing to make them part of the day-to-day discussion about what does it mean to be imaginative and creative. And once again, I think part of the biggest problem we have is, is is that we've experienced this throughout the conversations, the imagination conversations that Steve mentioned, is that there's a natural disconnect almost in the in the lived experience between imagination and, cre- imagination and creativity on the one hand, and fact and reason on the other. Almost everyone we've interviewed, either for the book or who has participated in conversations, has talked about their struggle with it. So rather than making believe it's seamless and there is no no difficulty in it, our premise is let's acknowledge that dynamic tension. Let's find the ways to bridge it, both within curriculum and career development and, and life development, and let's kind of embrace the dy- dynamic tension rather than ignoring it. In theater, we would call that good theater, because tension and 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 crisis are part of those discussions. So what we're trying to say is let's not bifurcate it. Let's not deal with one side or the other. Let's find the middle ground and combine them and make it part of of the lived experience, whether in school or after school. Thank you. You just mentioned this uh, topic of crisis, and it, it made me think about the, the Newsweek cover story from a few months ago about the creativity crisis and right. looking at a particular measure of, of creativity and creative thinking and the drop-off that's happened in this country in the last 10 years based on that particular measure. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering if you see both elements of the crisis itself, as, as however that may be defined, um, as well as, as signs of hope in what has been coming out of the imagination conversations, and, and also can you just describe a little bit about what those are and, and, and why you're doing them? Well, the conversation, it's an attempt to bring people from across professional sectors together, across all um, walks of, of life, to talk about why imagination is important in their personal and professional life, leading once again to creativity and innovation, leading toward the goal of public policy discussion in education. And the desire to do it nationally was so that we would have a state-by-state, city-by-city discussion because all education in the United States is is still local, or at least the interpretation of it is local. So we wanted to be able to say that we have a national effort that's based on individual cities and states.
state's participation, defining the questions through their own needs, be they rural, urban, be they agricultural to um, uh, scientific, um, and that the questions and the panelists are dealing with those questions that are relevant locally as we're looking at how it helps in the arc of the overall um, summit. The 50-state the initiative will end with a national summit here at Lincoln Center this coming summer where we'll be inviting people from the various conversations along with elected officials, along with policymakers, both in and out of education at the federal and state level to look at this as a policy issue. And we have great, and I repeat, great momentum developed toward that. So we could not be more excited um, to see that. Um, the uh, you know, the reason uh, for doing it and the, the need for it, we think, is uh, that uh, we've become too immersed in the culture of testing alone um, and that we need to... Uh, look at how standards and testing and accountability um, as reasonable efforts that need to happen in any well-run environment need to come together with other ways in which we need to advance both the individual and the workforce in its skills and capacities. And then that spirit, um, the goal is, is to show that, once again, it's the blend of the two that makes sense. The reason I'm hopeful, and I am extremely hopeful right now, is is that despite the fact that you know everyone is asking for more innovation at the business leadership level, and people are saying we need creative workers, what we're starting to see is is that the accountability movement in education is acknowledging that it's got its own limitations or own limits, and that what we need to look at is how to build on what has been very successful which are a series of accountability measures, but how those accountability measures connect to other measures rather than exist alone or in conflict with. And because I think there's an opening for that conversation and a need for it and an expressed need for it, I'm actually quite hopeful. What, what are some well, examples you, uh, just picking up on the, from the, conversa the imagination conversations, are there mm -hmm. examples from the business world that you've seen um, where organizations are doing particular things to encourage imagination and creativity in, in their employees explicitly beyond, as you were just saying, their, their awareness and recognition of, of, of creativity and innovation mm -hmm. in the workplace. But, yeah, but how do you do that in practice? Right. I think it's happening both in the uh, um, kind of large-scale, small-scale. I was just part of a, uh, an event called the New York Forum several months ago. Uh, it was business leaders from around the country and around the world talking about um, business leadership, the economy in the 21st century, and, and what's needed. Without a doubt, imagination and creativity were central features of the discussion, but it was also taken with that the kind of the takeaways from it is, is that business needs to look at differentiated leadership, empathy, and a win-to-win -win strategy. And each of those you could equate back to if you want to try to find points of connection and thought and action between 
a certain type of teaching and learning, a certain strategy for how schools should exist, and what's needed to, once again, to keep um, the human condition, uh, youth development moving ahead. And what I was heartened by is, is that there wasn't the more hardcore approach, which was, you know, damn the neighbor, it's all about me, and top-down leadership. And those are environments for imaginative and creative thinking to to um, to take hold. And people were giving, you know, uh, both in the conversations, but in their in this in this forum, a uh, voice to how important it is to create uh, kind of lateral lines of of decision making and problem solving, and um, that uh, dictates and mandates alone while the bottom line still may be driving the discussion, the need and how to get there seem to be going through an evolution, uh, if only because uh, we're worried in this country right now about um, our economic base. So people want to try new ideas and want to uh, reach out beyond existing norms. Well, uh, Scott, what I what I like about what you've said so far in uh overarching terms is that you're, what you're talking about is very positive action mm-hmm. is what I hear and that's just so refreshing uh, for me personally to hear when, when so many people are out there talking about dire disaster consequences about what's going on right now in our culture. So I wonder um, uh, in terms of, of those kind of win-win strategies and um, positive results, uh, what goes into uh, an imaginal or creative toolbox, whether we're talking about uh, educational um, systems or work settings, uh, institutions? Mm -hmm. What are some things you can point out Mm -hmm. that might go in that toolbox? Right. Um, I think the uh, one would be, once again, the, the, the list or the typology that we use of the capacities for imaginative learning. I mention them you know, because we use them, but we by no means own it nor think that it's an exhaustive list of what um, should go into it. But if you look at them and think about them in terms of what they're trying to develop in the individual, they range from deep noticing to making connections to reflection to noticing patterns to... Um, uh, assessment to taking action, um, and all those are kind of inquiry-based approaches that you could argue are as relevant in a scientific realm as they are in a mathematical realm, as they are in a humanities realm. So in a sense, what we're trying to do is say, let's find points of commonality between the way these elements, these subjects, are taught and kind of dissected, why we're also highlighting rich content knowledge. And if you bring those two together, the belief is in the spirit of a toolbox that what you're doing is you're empowering the teacher to teach things in a way that not only will the kid learn the knowledge that's necessary for literally passing of the test on the one hand, but also the skill sets to learn how to dig deeper, ask questions, um, look for complexity, and find his or herself in that knowledge base. On the side of the uh you know, the discipline knowledge itself, I mean there's nothing that's ever gonna replace, you know, 
just rich content knowledge delivered in a way that engages the learner to want to learn it. And um, and we think that can be done in first grade, seventh grade, 12th grade, kids across the socioeconomic um, and learning behavior uh, realm. It really is an instructional question um, that requires us to pay attention to it and have it as a goal. Yes, and I, I love the... Uh acceptance or embracing of the dynamic tension between science and art, if you will, or logic and imagination and creativity, right. saying that, okay, that discussion's there, that's that's a given, but we can move we can move past that or around that or in through that and make something new out of it. And we don't want to make it into a cliche either. I often use the example as we don't want to teach um, – history by miming George Washington crossing the Delaware and calling that a history lesson. I don't, that's not what we're, you know, those are not the kind of examples that we're talking about. We're not trying to integrate content to content. What we're trying to do is talk about ways in which methods of learning can be the connection across the disciplines, which will allow for authentic connections to happen with rich content possibilities. Because so what we do believe is true, and this comes truly out of talking with people in the sciences, I have to say even uh, defense and homeland security, is that there's a lot of interest in looking at how problems are solved, not by looking within the silo of the discipline itself, but on the fringes of that discipline or at the points of connection between disciplines. And we believe that the capacities and what we're trying to inculcate is a way to um, develop the skill set to do it in all children. Yes, and starting at, starting at a very young age. Yeah, because... Yeah. Asking what if and probing what is possible um, are great organizing questions. Yes. Thank you. As you were talking about um, some of those places in society uh, beyond education and business, which are sort of the obvious places where these conversations seem to be happening, but as you just mentioned, in, in things like Homeland Security and yeah. intelligence and, and other areas as well, that, that there are all of these conversations going on um, oftentimes separately and not linking across those disciplines, um, not just within the school setting, but just in, in society in general, not linking between education, business, nonprofits, arts, government. And so uh, you've been working uh, with some other folks on uh, establishing the National Creativity Network, which right. will be launched um, later this month at the Creativity World Forum. And uh, in the interest of disclosure, I, uh, you and I are both uh, members of the board of directors yes, of the National Creativity Institute. Proud but, of But it. you've also been quite, quite instrumental in helping, I think, form some of the initial thinking about that. So I'm just wondering if you'll explain a little bit about what, what that is striving to do as it's in, in the context of, of linking across society these issues that we've been talking about for the last several minutes. Right. Well, there's no doubt in my mind, and, and I think the, in support of what the, the network's trying to create, is that this has to be a big tent, big picture discussion, that it will not be solved by education or educators alone, uh, nor, will be, nor will it be solved by business um, 
uh, leaders and and uh, people involved in in science alone. It really has to be a big picture, a big tent idea. And to do that, we have to have structures in place to support that. You know, we've all we all exist within worlds. We're all busy that we can agree on something as a common cause purpose, and then they'll have have no ability to pull it off action wise and to see it into some form of accomplishment or fruition. The efficacy factor. Um, uh, component of it. So the the idea of creating a network is to have uh, a location for this discussion to happen. And the good folks in Oklahoma, which I think is quite extraordinary, the work they've been doing there uh, over the last couple of years, have offered to not only host this conference, the Creativity World Forum, but to help spearhead this national creativity network that you and I are involved in. And the goal of the network is really to be both a clearinghouse and an organizational entity for the fostering of this conversation across professional sectors, across commerce, education, culture, um, to show, once again, why it's relevant, the how to make it viral, and to keep pushing it both from a public policy and kind of a, a public relations perspective. And I could not be more thrilled because the imagination conversations that we've been working with here in in the creativity network are just great first cousins in the in the effort to try to bring this together in the country. Do you, do you see things happening nationally from a policy standpoint in this country that are are helping to support this, you know, in, in ways that lots of other countries have probably spent years thus far um, in terms of, of bringing national attention in, in England and Ireland and Singapore, um, several other countries, um, but not necessarily in a similar vein that we see that happening in this country. Do you, do you see examples of that, or do you hope that the National Creativity Network might play a role in, in helping create some of those kinds of policies at a national level? Right. I think that there's already policy for it. I think there's huge interest for it across professional sectors. I think that the conversation is already happening at multiple levels. I think what keeps happening, though, is that we think we're debating one another rather than uh, we're really not. What we really need to do is define is to define and find the points of connection uh, and move ahead with those points of connection, as we all know, the political landscape continues to change, um, which is healthy for any country but there's a reason why people keep coming here to find out how to develop innovation and creative uh, tools and products. Um, I still think the United States is the leader of it, despite the fact that others may be addressing it in a more uh, direct manner than we have, um, and that it's the driver of our economic engine and will continue to be the driver even more so in the 21st century. So I actually, once again, I think that it's uh, the the role of the creativity network, the role of the conversations, the role of this kind of discussion, uh, it's not a nicety, it's an absolute necessity. And Scott, as we wind down our time mm -hmm. together, I wonder if you can tell us just one short story about a uh, something that happened out of the um, imaginal conversations that um, that kind of demonstrates what you're talking about in terms of making connections. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we're 
there's many, many different uh, stories, some uh, points of connection that uh, I'd be uh, telling tales out of school just because they're not fully formed yet. But I think it's fair to say that uh, the interest in it and the points of connection are range from uh, – uh, Department of Defense, Homeland Security, to the spiritual community, to the business community. Um, and what we keep finding is that uh, there's often a misunderstanding or misperception of what it means to be imaginative. And once that's cleared up, um, people start to understand its its relevance and its, its potential impact. Um, the most exciting thing for me, though, and I, I, I say this with, with you know, great glee, is that a few years ago, um, if I looked at my Rolodex, I would basically have on my Rolodex, Rolodex artists and educators, because that's the world I live in on a daily basis. And I woke up one day and realized that if I only talk to myself, in essence, or the debate within the world that I live in, am I really challenging my own thinking, and am I really helping advance the form or the knowledge base? And that's really when the idea for the conversations came up. It's that might I not listen to a uh, uh, an astronaut talk about his or her experience, or might I not listen to... Uh, uh, a, uh, someone exploring the, you know, the galaxies. And when you start to realize that what you hear is they're every bit as aesthetic and imaginative and interesting as an artist talking about his or her experience or a teacher talking about that moment when uh, huge gains have been made in the classroom. And I started to realize that I needed to make connections, and I needed to notice differently. differently. And it was in that process that it processed the realization was, until I'm living in that world and learning from people outside of my own realm of experience, I'm limited. Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank I you, Scott. Appreciate both of you. Thank you, Mary Alice. Thank you, Steve. Scott Nappi Brandon is executive director of the Lincoln Center Institute and co-author of Imagination First. He will be part of the Creativity World Forum in Oklahoma City on November 17th. You can listen to the show again and find more information about our guests coming and coming shows at creativityandplay.com. And listen on Saturday, November 6th, when our guest will be best-selling author and creativity guru Dan Pink. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you for joining us. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.